0: Welcome to another edition of the College Faith Podcast, sponsored by Global Scholars. This is Stan Wallace, your host, and my guest today is Mike Schutt, Executive Director of the Worldview Academy. Mike has been thinking, writing, and consulting on worldview formation for over 30 years, including helping law students bring their worldview into the practice of law. His thoughts on worldview and law have been published in his Redeeming Law, Christian Calling and the Legal Profession. Mike, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Stan. It's great to be on the show with you and great to have this conversation.
0: Uh, We're discussing worldviews today, so let's just jump right in. What is a worldview?
1: (laughs) Uh, There's a lot of definitions of worldviews, obviously. I like what Albert Walters says about it, uh, one's comprehensive framework for beliefs about the world. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's how you see what real reality is. That's a worldview. Everybody's got one. Everybody sees, you know, has their view, their particular view of what's really real and how the world works. And that's, okay. at, you know, at a 30,000 foot level, that's what worldview is.
0: It's sort of like a set of glasses you have on, you just can't take off, right? You just see things through it, but don't even maybe know they're there.
1: Right. It's it's different than say, and this is from Albert Walters too, but it's not theology or philosophy, it's just pre-theoretical, it's those fundamental things, which is why the glasses, the prescription lens analogy is so good and is so well used by people when they talk about worldview, because when you don't have your prescription glasses on, you're not seeing things as they really are. Uh, but if you put on the right prescription, you do. But if you put on a, a wrong prescription or or colored glasses, or, or whatever. You have your particular take on the world, but it may or may not match what's really out there. So yeah, it's like, a, it's like the glasses through which you are seeing the world around you and seeing reality. Fundamentally, basic belief about everything. Okay.
0: So ultimately, worldviews are critically important if we really want to live authentic lives, lives that are in accord with what's true, and what's good, and what's what's beautiful, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's why we talk about biblical worldview, right? If if our prescription lenses aren't biblical or uh, based on a biblical view of reality and what's real, really real, uh, then the way we live, the decisions we make, the priorities we have, we'll see things that are beautiful and we'll think they're ugly or we'll see things that are ugly and think they're beautiful. And, and the same thing uh, obviously with goodness and truth. And so the, the big question is this, this drives how we live in many ways. It's not the only thing that drives how we live, but Romans 12 talking about be transformed by the renewing of your mind Mm. is a real thing. We can be, we can, we can conform uh, to what what the world tells us is really real and really important, or we can, we can have a mindset where we're thinking like Jesus or having, having our mind transformed uh, in order to, to have our thoughts match the mind of Christ in, in Scripture. Yeah. So the basis is always going to be Scripture. That's how we can, we can check ourselves. But you don't go into your concordance and, and say, oh, how can I think about baseball? Uh, or, how do I think about recreation, or how do i how do I watch this movie, and what movies do i watch and and all the sorts of things that that you 've been thinking about on this podcast and your listeners are thinking about it 's not always easy to unpack and and sort of dig into the foundations of some of the basic ideas that we see every day in the world and so developing one 's worldview is for me it 's easier said than done right it's mm. yeah, we can give these definitions, but how do you walk that out? Mm.
0: Well, there's so much there I want, I want to drill into. But first, let me back up. How did you get interested in this in the first place?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It's almost when I began to walk with the Lord seriously in college, I just I had this sense that the things that I was talking about in my classes, I was an English major. So the books I was reading, Shakespeare and just other other works. And then you go into political science and they're talking about world history I just had a sense that I was beginning to think differently and ask different questions mm. about the things I was learning in school. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking for books that said, how do Christians think about X? How do Christians think about Y? And I'm sure you remember James Sire's book, The Universe Next Door, where he sort of does a, a worldview catalog back in the 80s. Sure. And so I started looking at this. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So like a Buddhist would see these things differently than a Christian. And so Mm -hmm. I just started to think about those things and be exposed to authors that would talk about, you know, how do you think about, how do you think about the life issue, abortion? How do you think about philosophy? How do you think about literature? And so I just, uh, early on, I, I, I was exposed to writers who were helping me at least realize that there was a Good way and a bad way to think about my studies and to think about my relationships, and, and maybe that's obvious, but they sort of took me down the worldview trail. And when I got to law school, it became more acute mm. because law is a very specific discipline where there are foundational principles about what a human person is, or what is justice, or why do we punish people, or uh, all of those things that are that are fundamental presuppositions you know pre theoretical questions about these important topics so like criminal law or tort law or constitutional law and i realized we're not talking about that i'm going to law school where i'm quote learning law but no one mentions Uh, the theories of criminal punishment very much. Nobody really talks about what a constitution is and why words are important and what the role of a judge is. We're just learning how to apply the sort of the legal knowledge that we have. and, and, And we're just honing our analytical skills here. We're not asking the big why questions. And I think that's what worldview is, right? It's looking under the fundamental questions of your discipline or of your life and drilling down and saying what is it that's driving here what are the fundamental beliefs mm-hmm. about what is good and true and beautiful about what a human person is about the nature of god the nature of justice that we're not really talking about on the surface but really are driving everything that we do you know what 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 does it mean to be called as a lawyer for example you know you know, talk about that from a christian perspective at texas law school you know it's just it's just one of those deals that you uh, you just realize, you know, you're halfway through law school. Or for me, you get into law practice, you're, wait a minute, what, what am I doing and why am I doing it? And so it, that's the other thing about, about worldview. And I, I don't need to ramble here, but the other thing about worldview that this brings to mind is it's not something that we go, oh, here's what the Bible says. Now I have a list of things on how to be a good worker, how I can be a good husband, how I can uh, play sports well how I can love my, raise and love my kids well, how I can watch movies well, and so now I have this comprehensive view be, uh, of the world because I read my Bible. It's, oh, I'm practicing law. Oops, I guess I probably should have thought more carefully and biblically about what a lawyer is before I got two or three years into my profession, right? It's it's you're developing wisdom as you go, and it, I think, it is biblical worldview applied and discovered in your process of doing life, mm-hmm. uh, that, that becomes significant. So mm-hmm. that was a really long way to answer your question about how I got in, interested in it. That's good. And then the, the the rest of the story is, as, as I began to work with Christian law students on questions of Christian worldview as applied to law through my uh, job as a law teacher at a Christian school, uh, it was a, a blessing to be able to, to talk about those fundamental issues. And then I got connected uh, to this organization called worldview Academy that was doing it for high school students. Mm -hmm. And I just began to teach with them about 22 years ago and, Mm -hmm. and just got, uh, just got hooked uh, on, on talking to high school students about worldview because they, the more I worked with law students, the more I wanted to work with college students, the more I worked with college students, the more I wanted to, you know, you want to get them earlier. So it's, it's great to work with 13 to 18 year olds talking about these fundamental issues.
0: Sure. And that's the point of the podcast as well, is to help students and their parents and their youth pastors think about what are those worldview issues that need to be engaged, need to be analyzed, need to be understood uh, before going off to college or during those college years. I'm wondering if you have any examples or ways that you've seen a lack of understanding worldviews really sabotage students as they head off to college.
1: I have. Uh, It's a great question. There are a couple of things. For example, in the area of, let's say, epistemology, you know, how we know what we know, um, and the authority of Scripture. I think many Christian students have grown up with a high view of Scripture as sort of the rule of life and a guide, but they don't understand it as the source of knowledge and that the things we know are revealed to us. And so they go off to school, and they feel like they have this book, that's a set of moral principles, rather than something through which we see God and all knowledge is revealed through. And they get to college, and they're like, Oh, the material world is the way we get knowledge. And uh, they don't know the the difference between sort of subjective truth and objective truth. They don't understand that truth is revealed primarily, and the world is is a given that God has created and discovered. And so they're in a position where they're like, "Well, the Bible is a great book of moral principles, but it doesn't help me in other areas of knowledge." Mm -hmm. And so their worldview about knowledge and about truth is insufficient to carry them into the materialism scientific. World that we live in, and so they think that the Bible is a private moral. It's it's just this private morality, and sort of public knowledge has to be something else. And then, of course, that carries you away into all sorts of views of reality that are unhelpful to living faithfully.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's one example.
0: Is it fair to say that every thing a student will encounter in classes and conversations with students and readings? Ultimately, are worldview issues? I think so. I think that I think that's right. Or driven by? I driven by worldview issues. Sure. I think I think it's right. Don't you think? It seems to me that that that's the case. I can't think of every counterexample. I can't think of one issue or question or conversation I've ever had that, in retrospect, uh, or things I read in retrospect, didn't have fundamental worldview assumptions being made or or maybe explicitly argued for.
1: Right. I mean, in movies are great examples, right? You even think of even lighthearted romantic comedies. There's there's a view of what romance is or ought to be or what even what entertainment is, even if it's a tongue-in-cheek that we don't really believe romance is like this. But, man, you watch enough chick flicks, it, it will start to, to shape your view of what romance and love is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's the other thing about worldview. I mean, I like to say or I've heard others say uh, that it's caught. Uh, as much as it is taught, mm-hmm. we swim in a particular era, and it's all about particular views of the human person, the nature of God, the nature of reality, mm-hmm. and we catch it. We don't. We don't even know where we're deficient in it right. um, if we're if we're not engaged and uh, and alert
0: uh, to the ideas. Yeah, I like that analogy of swimming in it. It's again, you ask a fish what water is, and the fish has no clue because it's all around. It's just part of the environment and that's uh yeah that's like a worldview actually my last guest on last month's podcast was Drew Trotter. Yeah I saw that you know him expert on movies yeah. and evaluating them from a Christian worldview and we talked just about that how there are so many assumptions in movies that are worldview based that we don't even see we just imbibe them because they're part of the cultural narrative inculcated in film Spoon fed to us and just becomes a way we think without being reflective.
1: Absolutely. And as much as we consume culture these days, right? Kids, you talk about students, I'm talking college students too. Oh, heck me, all of us. Uh, And I don't, I don't consume as much probably as the high school students that I'm hanging out with, uh, just because they're more adept at finding things to consume. Uh, If I were good at it, I'd probably be consuming more than them. I'm as uh, interested as the next guy. Uh, But with as much as we consume, there are so many avenues of that, well, water or wallpaper, whatever our analogy is that we're swimming in, that, that we can just, we imbibe it. We imbibe advertisements. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's an old saw. It's like, well, advertising, you know, makes you desire things that you wouldn't otherwise desire. Well, it's way more than that. I mean, marketing people are, are geniuses They get paid money for that. And it can be used for great, great purposes. But if you're not aware of what you're taking in every day, you're just a consumer of culture. And that culture is shaping you more than you're, than you're shaping it.
0: Hmm. Okay, Mike. So we've talked about the importance of well, uh, what worldviews are generally, and the importance of them, and having a correct worldview. Let's talk about what these worldviews are. You've mentioned the Christian worldview. You mentioned in passing the Buddhist worldview. Just catalog them for us. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, when you look at say the nature of God, right? There, there are different views of that God is, you know, is God everywhere? He's in nature, or it's in nature. Uh, is God the makeup of the world, and we're all just all drops of water in the Godhead? Uh, are there many gods uh, in the world, or is there, or is there one true God? And so you can catalog worldviews uh, like that. But most of us, it's almost like, well, there are several billion worldviews. Uh, Because we all have our smorgasbord of how we see reality. Mm. And maybe the the more important thing is we all live a little bit inconsistently with our worldviews. As an example, for me, I often struggle to match my actions uh, with how I think and really believe. James K.A. Smith has written a lot on this topic when he's criticized sort of the maybe the classic worldview idea of just how we think drives how we live. Mm -hmm. And he's added and maybe amended the concept to say our loves are really what shape. How, how we live.
0: Yeah, the, the idea of a, of a world and life
1: view, right? That's right. Uh, and so this, this idea of how wisdom comes with it. Mm. So there are a variety of, of fundamental presuppositions. And I think they answer six or seven fundamental questions about the world. And mm-hmm. as many combinations as you can get with that, that's how many worldviews there are. And I'd say those are questions like nature of God, nature of man, the nature of the family. Uh, what is politics? How do we know what's really Uh, real and questions like that, right? You have five or six of those fundamental questions that really drive a lot of of what we do and how we think.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, good. Now, I'm going to push you a little bit, though, uh, because I think you're right. There are billions of worldviews, as many as there are people. But at a meta level, you've mentioned theism and specifically Christian theism. Of course, there's naturalism. All there is is what we can see and touch uh, there's, there's postmodernism, right? There's, there, there's a few that are sort of meta level. Yeah. What would be that, that short list that people could just start to get a handle on? Okay. Here's some broad categories of ways people see the world or the water they swim in.
1: Yeah. You can add to this list or correct me where you see I'm missing it, but I say naturalism and materialism go hand in hand, right? Mm -hmm. Theism there's a maybe a supernaturalism that sees nature and supernature as distinct, rather than the Christian view of God being separate from His creation, but also in and involved in it. And then you have modernism as a as a worldview uh, based in feelings and authenticity and humanism, and then postmodernism that rejects some of those fundamental materialist presuppositions of modernism and yet also rejects supernaturalism Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't know what what would you add to that list
0: yeah i'm always trying to ask the genus species question right what's what's the overarching unifying definition or understanding that that then different particulars fit into it seems to me and you've alluded to this already it seems to me there there are only two ultimate worldviews one is a naturalism of some sort. In other words, all there is, is the physical existence. And another is a supernaturalism of some sort. There is uh, ultimately a supernatural reality and maybe only a supernatural reality. Some would go there, but, but ultimately one set of worldview says that the ultimate reality is what we can see. And the other says the ultimate reality is what we can't see. So you have naturalism, and supernaturalism. And then once you get down into that, you you know you can, uh, at another level, start to unpack, well, naturalism might be expressed through scientific materialism, where we know all truth through science, and if I can't see it, it's not real and all, all these ideas, or it could be expressed through a postmodernist framework, which you just mentioned, which is naturalistic as well, because there's nothing beyond or transcendent, nothing supernatural, but it's a, it's a different way and a more skeptical way to say what actually is. Right. Mm -hmm. And then on a supernatural side, there's there's a number of distinctions. You can have the theist view, which you've mentioned a Christian theist, but could be a Jewish theist or a Muslim as well. That says there's a personal God that's ultimate. But you can have the pantheist who says, no, there's an ultimate one, but it's not a person. uh, Right. The Eastern religions you know you, you you have other variations you mentioned one not popular today i don't know anybody who holds it panentheism where god's kind of where he's both spirit and matter yeah uh you've got pure idealism which nobody holds to anymore but was popular last century or two centuries ago now where all ultimately physical things are illusions and all that actually is is the immaterial so you know but they all fall under ultimate realities immaterial and super natural. So and then and then you get under those so many divisions. Uh you know, I've mentioned three under theism alone, and you've got so many more under each of the others. Uh-huh. But you made a really good point that we all, because we don't think often about this, end up picking the things we like out of different worldviews. And ours becomes this amalgamation that ultimately I, I think is unhelp helpful and unhealthy because we don't live then according to reality. Right. There's only one truth, and all of these views are contradictory. So they can't all be right. I think that's a that's a great way
1: to 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 look at it. And the the naturalistic worldview, or at least the what's these days, the scientific materialism or physicalism as you called it, is is the most attractive to our students. Because I think we're taught that, well, you know, there are facts and opinions, right? And facts are things that can be proven, and opinions are everything else it feeds into the tendency to privatize moral decisions as something that are just opinions and values rather than moral truth claims or moral facts or spiritual facts. Right. And so it feeds into that. It's a way of talking about the world that sunk into how our students believe the world really works. And so uh, they end up thinking that uh, science and faith are incompatible Mm -hmm. or that Religion has no place in the public square or related ideas mm-hmm. that's harmful to living a, a life of public witness, maybe is a good way to put it.
0: So would you see scientific naturalism more popular with students than postmodernism? Because I would have thought you said, said the opposite. That's a great question.
1: I think because I deal with so many Christian students, I think the big barrier of scientific, scientific naturalism, sort of the humanist move toward anti-supernaturalism, but you're right. I mean, the postmodern uh, worldview where everybody's truth is acceptable, uh, everybody can be right, uh, everybody's got their own spirituality and it's all good, that, that sort of strain of, of postmodernism is, al- is also a pull, and it's a pull away from biblical authority. Uh, it's harder, I think, for students to think about the scientific claims of the day scripturally Mm. so strong christian students struggle more with well gosh the bible doesn't say a lot about science how can i think about science it's harder for them to biblically combat that even our nominally christian students know enough to know that not every spirituality can all be true at once Uh, and so the the tug of some of the fundamentals of postmodernism is not as strong with christian students they're the ones that i'm digging into most
0: i see okay Does that make any sense? That makes a lot of sense. Sure does.
2: We will return to the show in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsor. Do you have a child, relative, or friend preparing for or attending college? What they need most are Christian professors who can help them learn to love God with their hearts and minds during these impressionable years. Global Scholars equips Christian professors to be there for them and walk with them during their years in college please visit www.global-scholars.org to learn how you can help equip Christian professors to show Christ's love on a campus near you and around the world. Please also check out the other podcast Stan and Dr. J.P. Moreland do together, Thinking Christianly. Whereas this college faith podcast focuses more on the practical questions of thriving during the college years, The Thinking Christianly podcast is all about the ideas that shape the university, students, our broader culture, and the world. Visit thinkingchristianly.org or download episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And now back to College Faith.
0: All right, Mike. So we've talked about what a worldview is, why it's important to think about these issues, some of the broad categories now of worldviews. So let's talk about evaluating worldviews. Because as you've mentioned now a few times, it's important to get this right because it affects everything else. So how does a student go about evaluating his or her worldview and coming to believe more and more of what's true and less and less of what's false?
1: Yeah. That's the 24000 64000 I don't know how many thousand dollars yeah, question. Keep, these days
0: it's a $1.5 million question.
1: That's the $1.5 million question, uh, because this is the this is the key to living a life of wisdom. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about biblical worldview and how do you develop it, we're, what we're really saying is how do you develop a comprehensive framework where you, you believe, live, and act in accord with with the
0: scriptures? And I'll add... In order to flourish. Yeah. In order to actually live the life we all want, right? Yeah, that's great. Exactly.
1: It starts with a, some fundamental biblical literacy, right, which is missing in, in many ways. We, we read our Bibles sometimes. Sometimes we don't. I know of a Christian law student who was raised in the church and would go to a Christian event for Christian law students that heard the speaker talk about uh, principles from the murder of Abel by Cain and disobedience and rebellion and God's justice. And after the talk, he came up to the speaker and said, that was really powerful on justice. Now, where does that Cain and Abel story come from? Mm. Just fundamental biblical literacy of not just the stories of the Bible, and of course, that's just an example of not knowing a particular story, but it's telling that we don't know some of the fundamental principles of God's revelation as it unfolds over scripture. So it's reading the Bible in bits and pieces as, a, as moral tidbits or inspirational quotes, rather than digesting scripture as God's revelation of himself, uh, of a story of real reality and God's work in the world. So that's one, and that's a tall order. Uh, the church is struggling with it. Uh, churches are are returning to this more and more, I think, uh, but understanding that there needs to be some basic basic understanding of the scripture itself and its nature. Then secondly, as we live in wisdom, being able to unpack the messages that we hear in culture comes from both biblical knowledge, but some instruction in basic thinking skills, mm-hmm. not necessarily formal logic but some development of basic critical thinking skills. What am I hearing here? Why do you believe that? Uh, Why does this matter? To be able to think about the issues that come before us and contemplate what's being said
0: and to be able to unpack that. Mm -hmm. And the way I've said that, by the way, is one, ask the question, what's what's being claimed here? Because any claim is saying such and such is true or not true. So what's being claimed? What's the evidence or reason this person is giving to support this claim is true? And is that sufficient to make the case, right? Three simple questions. What's the claim? What's the evidence? Does it work? Yeah,
1: that's great. I think that's a great way to do it. Sometimes with our students, we talk about it in terms of a conversation with the others. Uh, where you're asking, what do you mean by this?
0: Mm, good.
1: So what's the what's the claim? How do you know that's the evidence and what's the support? Perfect. Yeah. So so being able to ask those questions about things like, well, conversations, first of all, but things that you're learning in your biology class, things that you're learning in your English class, things that you're talking about in history, all of those, those are good. Training grounds for young minds to be asking questions about these fundamental things. So, developing those critical thinking skills that are—I mean, we're not talking about formal logic. We're talking about basic understanding yeah. uh, and asking asking good questions. And the surrounding uh, society doesn't give us good models of that. Not at all. We've become very political, and and in the in the sense that I'm using it, it means that we take our tribe and we find out who's in charge. And then we think whatever that person thinks, mm-hmm. and then we talk loudly about it. And so, to learn to unpack that stuff is the is the next step. And then I, I think spiritual disciplines play into this as well. We have we're being formed by the culture around us. Uh, you know, you you've talked about the fish not knowing that they're in water. Uh, we're we're the same way. And so, what's the counterformation that we're doing? Uh, it needs to start, as I said, with scripture study and understanding on a on a bigger level. Uh, But it also would involve some practices like prayer, um, fellowship with others. And and it's akin to, gosh, if you're going to be a a disciple of of calculus, you got to be in a study group with people who know about calculus. And so being involved in the local church and being sharpened in these conversational critical thinking skills as they apply to the movies, advertisements, books, ideas of the culture, political thinkers, messages on TV, public policy issues to be involved in Christian community shapes a worldview in ways that we, I think we vastly underestimate. Mm, that's um, good. Because we're, we're really shaped by our, our communities. And most of us are in online communities and work communities and civic communities that, that do more deforming than they do true worldview formation the way that we need to. Mm-hmm. So I'd say those are, those are three starting places. Good.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you a follow up on that, because I can hear listeners say, well, you know, my church doesn't help me think about these things. In fact, they tell me I shouldn't think about these things, just believe. And if I'm thinking or trying to understand, I'm not having faith. So how how does a student be a part of a faith community that can actually help them do the things you're saying, to learn the critical thinking skills, to to understand the importance of worldviews and evaluating truth claims and all of these things?
1: Yeah, that's that's a tough one, because if the church says that one's faith is a blind leap and doesn't have anything to do uh, with intellectual understanding, I mean, it is true that we believe so that we will know. That's true. I mean, faith is first, but it's also true that we hear the word, we believe it, and so we have faith. And so they go hand in hand. It's not it's not one or the other. It is. It is both. It's faith seeking understanding, and it's understanding. So we seek further. I don't think you can flourish in that environment unless you're able to find fellow travelers on the road that say, "Okay, let's unpack some of this stuff and let's learn together." It's not just our pastors and our youth pastors uh, and our friends who can teach us. There's a lot of uh, dead people who are really great at, yeah. at shaping us in this. There are some great books out there. There are some. There are some good video series. there are things out there that can help you do that. but I don't want to say, hey, let's go outside the local congregation as much as can to get that stuff. Be an agent of change within and bring those resources into the body. Look for people in your congregation and maybe have a form a small group and encourage your pastor uh, in, in the sort of the historical realities of the, the church who have always said. Uh, that the life of the mind shapes the church and the church shapes the life of the mind. I did have a pastor once who said, most people just want to love Jesus. They don't want theology. Well, you don't know how to love Jesus <laughs> without theology. That's what theology tells us is who Jesus is mm-hmm. and how he loves us uh, and how we can respond. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it it starts pre-theoretically. It starts before the theology, of course. But to 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 not be able to develop past the, well, all I need to know is John three sixteen, 16, uh, is being short-sighted about what you're calling as a believer is. Uh, and so to be able to, to take the initiative on your own, even if your leaders aren't helping you, and then to encourage those leaders to dig into the stuff and help us, help us think better about the world.
0: Mm-hmm. And the good news is, from my experience, there's always men and women in churches who really are thinking about these things and in their own lives, trying to understand better their worldview, other worldviews, what is truth, how to live well. And sometimes I found that just a few questions can help me figure out who those folks are that I'd want to spend more time with. Right. Uh, you know, and, and you have these kind of conversations in the foyer, right before, after service, or or at a, at a at an event. Here's a couple of questions I found helpful. You mentioned one. What are you reading? You know, what a person's reading is usually a really good indication of what they're interested in understanding more, and that's why they're reading what they're reading. So, if they're reading yeah. things that are worldview related, are issues related to what's true, what's good, what's beautiful, how do I live? That's the kind of person that I want to be around more. That's right. And the other question I I, I like to ask, and you know, you can ask this pretty casually in conversation. Uh, I'd love to. I'd love to know where you see your faith intersect with what you do nine to five. Yeah. In other words, how have they thought about integrating their faith in their work? Now, some people said to me, I've never thought about that. Well, that, that's understandable. We're not encouraged to do that often. Usually it's, well, spiritual things, what you do on Sunday and other stuff's just kind of mundane nine to five. But uh, but the the few people who who do say yeah I, I have thought about that. Here's some like you just illustrated with law a minute ago. Here's some places it plays out. In our understanding of justice. Those are people that that sparked my interest. I think I want to be around this person more, even though I might not. And usually I'm not in his or her field. Uh, just learning how he or she have, has come to the point of thinking about these things. And some of the thoughts are helpful for me. Just again as a kind of a. A mentor, somebody to look up to, someone to learn from. That's excellent. Even if the church doesn't have, you know, worldview one hundred and one class, yeah. Just meeting people in congregation, asking those kind of questions sometimes is really helpful.
1: That's super good. And and the other thing is, you're looking for for Pauls for mentors, but you're also looking for Timothys. Mm. If you're anyways down the road, if you're asking somebody, hey, how do you see your your faith inter- intersect with your work, and they don't have an answer. That's a good person to say. Hey, would you be interested in in meeting uh, regularly to explore that question? I've I've read some books on ah. faith and work, and and I've thought about it in law. I haven't thought about it in engineering, but would you be interested in maybe going through a book on on vocational calling and in work? And then you're pouring in as well as looking uh, for people uh, that you can meet with and be encouraged by too, and you can be part of the solution there. That's a great. Great questions. Those are, I think, those are great.
0: That's interesting. Well, let me drill down very specifically now into the Christian worldview, because that is clearly one of the lenses a person can look at the world through. And uh, we have both committed to our lives reflecting that uh, understanding. Why do you think that's the right one? Because it explains everything.
1: Everything makes sense in light of the claims of Scripture about who God is and who Jesus Christ is and our need for him and the solution he is. It is meta-explanatory for the way that the world is. The triune God and his overflowing love in the world explains everything about the world. And the story that scripture tells about the fall and the solution to it has explanatory power uh, that has never been defeated or disproved. And so it's true uh, and it works.
0: I want to, to say yes and amen. The best little piece I've ever read on this is a, a, a little article by C.S. Lewis called Reflections in a Toolshed, I believe. Are you, are you familiar with this little piece?
1: No, not that piece. I was thinking of his his uh, essay in Weight of Glory, Transposition. But go ahead.
0: Okay. I, I think he maybe repeats the theme, but... I I suspect he was in a tool shed that was uh, uh, a dark tool shed, and there was a beam of light coming through a crack in the roof or the wall. And the analogy he gives is, I believe Christianity is true in the same way I believe the sun is there is, and not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Exactly, I see the beam of light, but more importantly, it illuminates everything else it touches. It makes me aware of reality in a way that without it I'm I'm blind. That's great. yeah
1: that's the explanatory power of the truth of Christianity and God's redemptive plan explains everything from the why the world is broken to why it's so beautiful uh, and and to why we need and even my sin is explained by the Christian worldview. My hypocrisy is explained by the reality of scripture. The second thing is the witness of God himself through the power of the Holy Spirit in what the church has done in the world and how it's transformed every culture that it's touched and that it creates culture, uh, it creates hospitals, it encourages literacy. I mean, it does all the things that, that human flourishing is about and that evidence, that witness of God's people as corrupt as it is, as messed up as it is, is a powerful, powerful testimony to the reality of the Christian worldview.
0: Absolutely, and that's a whole other conversation, right? Apologetics, uh, defending the faith, reasons to believe. My next guest next month, I'll put a plug in, is Paul Copan, who's done a lot of work on this. So I'll drill more into that with him. But thanks for that primer and and some of the big picture issues. Let's let's get really practical, assuming that the student embraces the Christian faith and are really now asking, well, how can I live this out more consistently? How can I more authentically lean into my biblical worldview, my Christian worldview? What are some practical ways students can do that to be more and more consistent?
1: Yeah. Uh, These are the formative years in, in terms of they're going to college to be formed in so many ways and they're being formed in a million different ways uh, formed and counterformed and shaped, the things that they're aware of, things are paying good money to be shaped in, uh, lots of money to, to shape and form them in both good and bad ways. So to engage as a Christian student in the disciplines of community and study and worship, I think, are essentials for the Christian college student. Don't neglect. I mean, we think when we're in college, or particularly grad students are the worst at this, you know, I'll never be any busier than I am right now. So I just don't have time. Right. I just don't have time to to engage in Sunday worship and gather with the with the saints in my local congregation. Or I don't really have time to study the Bible because I'm spending all my time, you know, studying the molecular structure of rat hair or whatever you know whatever it is they're getting into. And so it's it's a lie that we tell ourselves that we're we're too busy to not engage in the fundamental shaping disciplines. And so fundamentally, as Christian college students. We should be talking to students in our discipline or at least in the same cauldron of education that we're in. So we should be gathering with other Christian students at our institution, talking regularly about how that institution is shaping me and how the scripture And Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is counterforming me uh, into being more like him in this particular context. So, one, Christian community in the context where they're found. And whether that's a virtual community, Zoom, uh, with talking, you know, if you're gathering with people all around the country, that's cool, too. Face-to-face is better, of course. And then the individual disciplines of Scripture study. And if possible, thinking and reading in your discipline— Uh, other believers who have studied the same thing that you're studying, just to to help you. And I've gotten objections when I've taught law students in this area, and they're like, I have enough to study. I'm reading 400 pages a night already, and you're telling me to double study? And I say, yeah, that's what what I'm saying, double study. Study your discipline, and then study God's word as applied to your discipline. Absolutely. And that can't just be the scripture most of the time, uh, because uh, when I look up uh, how to love my clients in my concordance in the Bible, at least in my translation, doesn't have anything. <laughs> and So I have, to, I have to rely on wise believers who have gone before, who have some application of theology and scripture study to this that I wouldn't have thought of because I'm a novice in it.
0: Is there a place that maybe you can point students to get access to those kind of books?
1: Yeah, I I think places like Stand to Reason um, that do apologetics, right, always point to resources in a particular philosophical area or area of dispute. So they they have a great, great resource page. The book I'd recommend uh, for students, two books I'd recommend for students who are just thinking about the basics of worldview and the basic questions. One's called The Deadliest Monster by Jeff Baldwin, who it starts by comparing Frankenstein and Jekyll and Hyde. Mm. Right. So it's a it's both an example of reading literature for the fundamental ideas about the nature of the human person, but then a walking through of of fundamental worldview questions. It's a good book that any student can read. Right. It's not it's not super academic, but it's a, it's an excellent book. And then the other one for college students, for sure, would be rethinking worldview, uh, learning to speak, live and think, uh, live, think and speak in the world. Right? It's about wisdom and witness in worldview in the context of this kind of formation and reformation. So those are two good uh, worldview resources. The guy who thinks well about this in the in the Christian world across all the disciplines is a guy named Byron Borger. And you probably know Byron, mm-hmm. he and his wife Beth are the proprietor of Hearts and Minds books in Dallastown, Pennsylvania. And the guy is a catalog of worldview resources across the disciplines. Uh, I wrote a little chapter in a book that was just sort of a, a book honoring him on, on their 30 years in the business. And we did a chapter on every discipline and how. What books in that discipline would be helpful? And so that book itself, it's called "Reading with Hearts and Minds" because that's the name of his his bookshop. Uh-huh. Uh, has a catalog across the disciplines of of the the three or four best books for each discipline.
0: Thanks, really helpful. And you mentioned earlier Jim Sire's book, still a classic. Yeah, the Universe Next Door has been updated. It has been updated. Yeah. Any other books come to mind?
1: Uh, Nancy Piercy's Total Truth is a good one, Mm -hmm. Uh, I think. um, How Now Shall We Live? Colson and Piercy. Uh, uh, J.P. Moreland, Love God With All Your Mind, is a, if you're in the, if you're in a church that says faith is all you need, uh, just sort of a a defense of of the life of the mind uh, matters. There are a lot of good books like that. Uh, Gene Weiss, God at Work is a good vocational book. His book, Postmodern Times, explains some of the postmodern worldview. It's a little dated. I, I guess I still recommend it.
0: Well, good. Um, hey, you uh, you mentioned in passing your work now. I want to give you a chance to say a little bit about that, a little plug for it, uh, with the Worldview Academy. Uh, what do you want to let listeners, especially the youth pastors and high school students listening to this podcast, know about what you're doing
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's thanks. I appreciate that. Our website is worldview.org. So very easy worldview.org. And we minister to 13 to 18 year olds and their families uh, in helping them think in accord with a biblical worldview so they can be servant leaders uh, in the in the broader world. So it's a leadership camp. Uh, it is a summer camp, but not in the, any sense of any summer camp you've ever heard of. It is fun, like summer camp, but it's students sit through 26 hours of lectures. Uh, I do lectures on epistemology, leisure, uh, vocation, law and justice, government. Others do lectures on literature and the arts, uh, beauty, truth, and goodness, a lecture on C.S. Lewis, uh, a lecture on how to live the Christian life in worship, how to study the Bible, the uh, reliability of Scripture, all sort of the basic worldview topics, and then worldview applied. We do some some cool stuff in worldview applied. I talk about a particular criminal law case where I'm demonstrating how these fundamental presuppositions actually affect how judges make decisions and how, how humans make decisions and why, why it still matters uh, for us today. And so it's a week-long uh, leadership camp for 13 to 18-year-olds. Uh, we have 17 of them across the country in, in most every region. They run Sundays through Fridays. Uh, we have college staff who disciple the students and who who engage with uh, students in small groups and are able to unpack the lectures, talk about life with a college student who gets it. You can have lunch with faculty. We have dinner together with the students. Uh, it's just a, it's a blast. It's a great place for someone who's serious about trying to think about the world, think about reality in a faithful way, uh, to come and spend a week with other like-minded students. hmm one of the benefits of the camp of the week is not just oh, I've learned a lot about how to think Christianly about law and justice. I've learned a lot about how to watch a movie to the glory of God uh, I've learned a lot about how to how to take my leisure time and and uh and seek truth and beauty and goodness with it rather than just being distracted uh all of that is awesome and is the whole point of the week but what what we find from students is that they say. Even from the first day where I walk in and there are 80 students in this classroom from all over my region, I didn't know there were this many students like me who really cared about thinking about the world enough to spend a week of their lives thinking about this stuff. And they get to know each other in the fellowship and form lifelong uh, friendships. Uh, and so that's, that's our signature event are the week-long summer camps. Uh, and we just have a, a, a great return rate. You know, Students come to the camp and they, they, they want to come back. The other things that we do is we we are a resource to families throughout the year. Uh, We we have what we're calling cultural conversations uh, on Zoom every month. Uh, We'll have one on C.S. Lewis uh, and the the essay we were just talking about, Transposition. uh, We'll have that probably coming up uh, next month. Those can all be found under the events tab on our website, worldview.org. That schedule will be out next week. Uh, Things like how to read literature uh, and recordings of past conversations that we've done on zoom are available so we've done you know how to read literature with your family and one of our faculty members just walked through a short story by john steinbeck and we did it you know live with q a on zoom it's just a great great time once a month to minister to families and we've got video series that we're working on for churches uh, we will be rolling those out in the next next several weeks so we're trying to be a resource for families on uh, helping raise their students, thinking faithfully about the the world around them, thinking in accord with a biblical worldview. Worldview Worldview.org.
0: Thanks. Yeah, and that'll be in the show notes so folks can easily find that. Cool. Well, Mike, this has been a great conversation. As we draw to a close, is there anything else you want to make sure we touch on on this big topic of (laughs) worldviews? Wow. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and maybe... Maybe it's worth saying, uh, and I'd love for you to chime in on this too, Stan, because I know you're, you have lots of conversations in lots of different contexts with students, with teachers, with young people, with older guys, um, with families. And I'm seeing a change in the way that, that students are interacting with scripture. Uh, it's the, the desire is still there to think, well, especially the students that come to our camp, right? They're, uh, they're, they wouldn't be there unless they had some desire to be faithful in their thinking. But I've seen a, a difference in their approach to scripture. And I, I touched on this a little at the beginning, but I've heard more students say something along the lines of, hey, I, I understand what you just said about how scripture addresses this issue and some applications for how we think about it. But wouldn't it be better if we did it this way? And it's like, (laughs) I've never had students, usually the the struggle in the 20 years that I've been teaching high school students, high school students are saying, oh, I, I never interpreted the passage this way. Or I didn't see this application that you brought. Gosh, it's hard to align my life and thinking with these things. This is a hard teaching or a hard saying or whatever. I've seen that a lot, but I've never heard somebody say, I know it says that, but wouldn't it be better if we did X, right? So it's a a question of authority, the way they see scripture, not as this is what God says about this topic, let's align ourselves with it. It's a more, yeah, the Bible says this, and it's probably a good suggestion, but it doesn't really seem it doesn't really seem right to me. And I haven't seen that, especially in young students lately. I don't know if it's just what's going on with authority in our culture generally, Mm. uh, because there is a a authority crisis with, uh, I've seen a shift in how students view parents and how parents view government and how we see, you know, different authority structures anyway. And maybe it's just of a piece with all of our views on authority as all being optional, and maybe that's a, a, a shift in our culture that is is causing us to see Scripture as just, uh, it's just this ancient book that's got some great suggestions, but, man, we have a better way to do it. But I don't know, have, have you seen that at
0: all? Oh, yeah.
1: It's just a really strange phenomenon for believers who say, this Scripture is the most important thing in my life, but it's optional uh, as an authority.
0: Yeah. Well, and again, it's grounded, I think, in some deeper worldview and philosophical assumptions that are now part of the, the air we breathe, to change the analogy. Uh, one One's a metaphysical commitment, a view about reality, and one's epistemological. At least, there might be more. But the view of reality has changed from God as a God who communicates truth to God as a, as a God who's a personal friend. So it's much more existential than propositional. Uh, it's much more... Jesus and me, then there, there, there are certain truths about reality that God knows and is communicated that I had to figure out how to understand and align my life with. So, you know, a very different view of who God is and how he relates to us, I think. Yeah. But then also, uh, there's, you know, with the advent and now, you know, dominance of expressive individualism, where ultimately, it's about me. It's about me being me, expressing who I am, right? Yep. You be you. Uh, so that that truth then or knowledge of truth becomes not something objective out there, but it's what I want it to be or think it is, right? Yep. And so it's this idea of, well, it seems right to me, so it must be right. As opposed to does this align with some objective truth out there, which is yeah. the older vision of Living well, and I think the right vision, but certainly not the dominant view these days.
1: Very good. I think that's totally, totally right. That points to another great resource to understand the times is is Carl Truman's two new books, right on expressive individualism. Right, the Rise of the Modern Self is the academic one for nerds, and then the one for <laughs> for the rest of us is Strange New World by Carl Truman. So those are those are good resources as well on this on this topic. So you're you're totally right. I just see it more and more with our again Christian students, not those who have been carried away by the ideas of the day on purpose, but those who are carried away by the ideas of culture because we're the fish uh, breathing that water. I don't know. I'm mixing the metaphor too many many metaphors to go
0: back. That's right. Exactly. Glasses, water, (laughs) air. What what else can we throw in there? Right. Yeah. Yeah, Wallpaper. Sure. No. (laughs) All there. But that's a great uh, point to close on uh, in terms of. How important it is, again, for Christian students to learn to think worldviewishly, because without knowing the ideas are shaping us in such a fundamental way, often because we are unaware with them, uh, it's just easy to get swept away into these sure. currents of thought that are ultimately anti-Christian and antithetical to truth and human flourishing as a result.
1: Absolutely. And we, ha- you know, we haven't even touched on what those currents are, because it's irrelevant. Right. The currents of today... Uh, the currents of fifty years ago, the currents of hundred years ago, whether it's tolerance, sexual identity, whatever it is, it, 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 these are just symptoms of the broader of the broader problem. Yeah, it's a great
0: point. Right, that's super good. Exactly, exactly. Well, Mike, thanks for taking some time to come on the show and talk about some of these issues. Appreciate your work and your leadership in this area and what you're doing with Worldview Academy these days.
1: Oh, thanks, Dan. I, I love what you're doing, obviously, as well, and and just appreciate being able to have a conversation with you.
0: That brings us to the end of this edition of the College Faith Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation at the intersection of Christian conviction and higher education. Be sure to check out today's show notes at collegefaith.net slash podcasts, where you can find more information and links to the resources we discussed. If you found this podcast helpful, please help spread the word by liking my College Faith Facebook page at facebook.com slash college faith and pass this show on to others who may enjoy hearing our conversation. Please do visit our sponsor, Global Scholars, to help equip Christian professors to be salt and light for Christ on their campuses. Until next time, this is Stan Wallace encouraging you to love the Lord your God with both heart and mind during the university years and beyond.